Welcome to the Quickfire Podcast. We are back after a long, extensive break of, uh, well, Thanksgiving break. And uh, I mean, I think both of us had a whole lot of stuff going on with classes, but happy to be back. Happy to be talking about UVU sports. Nathan, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Glad to be back and among the living. I was, uh, I, I don't feel weird saying this. I, I had COVID, so I was out of commission for a couple weeks there. As you can probably tell, my voice is still a little raspy. Still got a little bit of a cough, but I'm no longer contagious, no longer no longer COVID positive. So I'm feeling good. Glad to be back covering UVU sports, as always. And for all those viewers out there, or all those listeners out there, uh, it is clearly evident that Nathan can do the podcast without me, but I cannot do the podcast without Nathan because <laughs> when I've been gone, it's it's gotten done. But when he was gone, it did not get done. <laughs> well, I, I appreciate that that uh, compliment, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's jump right into it. Uh, I guess the first thing we should probably talk about is WAC champions. Yeah, women's volleyball. They're going dancing. They, uh, they won their uh, last two matches of the regular season over Cal Baptist and Seattle U. And then they won all three of their WAC tournament matches. Uh, they upset uh, second seed and uh, the host, New Mexico State, uh, in five sets. Yet another five-set match. We've been it, talking it about that all season. It doesn't surprise me at this point. <laughs> yeah, but then they just kicked it into another gear and uh, swept uh, Stephen F. Austin and Grand Canyon. I mean, those I watched. I think I started watching the, that game against Stephen F. Austin in the second set. And then uh, the Grand Canyon one I, I watched from the beginning, I think. And both of those, they just were locked in from the beginning. They they are obviously playing their best volleyball of the season at the right time, of course. Uh, Kazna Tanavasa, she was named the tournament MVP. Um, and then she joined Kendra Nock on the all-tournament team. Uh, Tanavasa was the lone Wolverine named to the uh, first team All-WAC, uh, and Jules Fink was also named to the All-Freshman team. And kind of speaking about uh, hitting their stride, they've won eight straight sets and 15 of their last 17 in their current five-game win streak. I mean, yeah. that's I, we talked about how they needed to close matches, and I think that they finally figured it out where that, that five-set match against, uh, who was it, New Mexico State, was the two seed, mind you, mm-hmm. uh, and they were the seventh seed, major upset. Uh, they finally figured out how to hold on to a lead and come out on top in that nail biter. Yeah, and I think if you were to talk to um, most of the coaches in the WAC, they would probably have said that they were worried about UVU because I mean they obviously it's pretty much this essentially the same team that won. Uh, the tournament last season um, and were one of the toughest teams to beat. I think I remember last season they they beat every single team in the conference that they faced. Um, granted, there's a lot more teams in the WAC this season, but I think most teams in the conference would have said that UVU was playing below their potential for the vast majority of the season. And, and I think I would agree with that. I mean, yeah. with the amount of close matches that they had that they couldn't get to go their way. I think that UVU came into the season as one of the top teams in the WAC Mm -hmm. and they just couldn't 
quite find it, right? Mm. And they were sitting around 500 all year, um, never really hitting a winning streak, never really hitting stride. But I think around that game with Chicago State where they won 3-1, to one, I feel like that's when something just kind of clicked and this team finally started playing like up to their potential. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, now, get underway, get started with the uh, NCAA tournament this Friday, uh, just down the road at the Smithfield House at BYU. Um, but they will not be playing BYU yet. They will probably play them in the second round if they're able to get past Utah, who has been one of the top teams in the country. I think they uh, they probably felt like they got underseeded, uh, the Utes. You they said were, they were yeah, ranked think, 17 at one point, right? Yeah, they were. I think it was in the last the vol- last volleyball rankings that I saw. They were ranked number 17, and with the um, with the NCAA tournament, they ranked the the top 16 teams host the uh, first two rounds. So I think the youths will definitely come out with a chip on their shoulder. They feel, they probably feel like they're underseated. They probably feel like they should have been hosting the first round like BYU. Um, but I, I think that's going to be a tough, a tough matchup, but also a fun matchup. That's these two teams. They played two matches earlier in the season. Uh, Utah won both of those, but I think that, that was a much different Wolverine team at that point for sure. I think that with the momentum that UVU has, they're poised more so than ever to kind of take on one of these top teams. I think that that is definitely a confusing scenario. You're playing at BYU against Utah down the road from Utah Valley. It's like Utah almost has, it's almost the away team in that matchup where UVU is so yeah. close. And I'm sure there, there's going to be tons of, Fans, fans both teams yeah. there on Friday. And that match is uh, starting at four. I don't think they've announced broadcast information. I haven't seen any. To, I wouldn't be surprised if it's on BYU TV, but I would not put that in. Yeah, right here. But say that's a hundred percent. I know volleyball has had a deal with ESPN Plus all season, so I'm mm-hmm. sure, like if it's not covered by one of those local networks, that it'll probably mm-hmm. get picked up. So we'll keep yeah. you posted on that. And then the winner of that matchup, they will face the winner of Boise State and BYU. And if UVU can come out on top versus the U. BYU is a tall task. I mean, they played earlier this Literally season. Literally a tall task. Yeah, they have, some they have huge a gigantic <laughs> front line. <laughs> yeah, that's they are a very very tough team. That would, yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll get to that when we come to yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> Moving on to wrestling, they had wins over CSU Bakersfield and Cal Baptist at the Roadrunner Open on November nineteenth, with Hayden Drury, Jaden Woodruff, Case Mauger, Isaiah Delgado. Danny Snedker and Jack Forbes all winning individual titles at the tournament. Delgado repeated as the champion at the Cowboy Open hosted by Wyoming on November 27th. The event was for non-starters, so most of UVU, most of UVU's top wrestlers didn't compete. Their next meet is the Cliff Keen Las Vegas Invitational on December 3rd and 4th. So, coming up pretty soon here. Yeah, they're, uh, I'm not super familiar with the NCAA, with those... Uh, Invitationals, but I think that's a pretty big uh, event down in Las Vegas. There's going to be some tough teams down there. And I think that they've had a couple of matches so far where they've had kind of the non-starters be the main participants. But I think mm-hmm. that in an invitational like that, you're going to see Taylor Lamont. You're going to see these other major wrestlers. Yeah, for sure. Kind of going back in time here for a little bit. It's been a while since we've done the podcast, obviously. But uh, cross-country, 
they closed out their season at the NCAA regionals on November 12th. Uh, Everyone Kenboy posted the highest regional finish in program history, finishing 13th in a stacked race that included the eventual national champion uh, from BYU. I forget her name, but mm-hmm. but she was. I think BYU had the individual men's, men's and women's yeah. national champions. Yeah, so I mean that both men's and women's they were facing a, a stacked field there. Obviously, uh, men's the men's team finished 10th and the women's team finished ninth. So congratulations to them on a very successful season there. Shifting gears to the hardwood, uh, women's basketball has started out 4-2 and two in the season with both of their losses coming to solid Mountain West teams in Nevada and Fresno State. Maria Carvalho earned WAC Player of the Week honors for, opening week, for the opening week of the season against uh, Park University and Fresno State. She nearly had a triple-double against FSU, posting 20 points, 10 rebounds, and 6 steals while playing, nearly, while playing the full 40 minutes. And Josie Williams, she was uh, named the WAC Player of the Week for this past week. Uh, she recorded a double-double in both wins uh, this past week over Colorado Mesa and Portland State. Uh, she had 17 points and 13 rebounds versus uh, Colorado Mesa, and then 17 points and a career-high 19 rebounds wow. uh, versus uh, Portland State. Um, and she currently leads the nation in rebounds per game with uh, 14 per game. I think... <laughs> UVU is turning into a uh, a rebounding set, yeah it's, it's a center dominant school I mean yeah. Josie Williams she's a star of her own and then Fardaz Amek on the men's team I'm both top rebounders across the nation yeah. I want to rewind a little bit um, with that loss to Fresno State or sorry Nevada. Uh, that was a very winnable game I feel like for yeah. that team Maria Carvalho tied her career high with 26 points in the first half. Jeez. But she had zero points in the second half. Oh, where like I feel like that offense just goes through droughts where they can't break out of it and it's just non like turnover after turnover, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, turnovers have always been the Achilles heel of this team for the past couple seasons. Mm-hmm. And I think that if they want to repeat as black champions, they're gonna need to figure out something to keep control of the ball, not turn over the ball as much. Yeah, for sure. I mean that's that's I mean that's their preventable mistakes. That's it's not like it's the other team dropping a ton, like an abnormal amount of points on you. It's your own mistakes. Yeah, I mean, it's not like, I mean, obviously, like last season in the NCAA tournament, they played Stanford. Yeah. This is the number one seed. Top, I think they were the top overall seed last year. You're not being overwhelmed offensively. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think all of, the, all of these games have been winnable games. Um but I think they've lost the games that they were that they, quote, I think, quote, supposed to lose, I yeah. guess. They're the, the tougher of the – they're four and two, like we said. They're of, of those six games, I think they've – the two that they've lost would, are definitely the most difficult ones that they've had. And plus that, that game was at Nevada too. I mean, it's a, it's a road matchup, a hostile environment. You're out of your element a little bit. I think that if – UVU wants to kind of make that jump from being an automatic 16 seed every time. Mm-hmm. They need resume building wins like Mountain West opponents. Mm-hmm. And so those were big games where you could have potentially put that on your resume and been like a 15 or 14 seed. Yeah, I mean, they've got a couple of big games. Uh, one tomorrow, we were recording this on Tuesday, but um, gaming at home against UNLV uh, right before the, the marquee 
headlining matchup <laughs> against BYU for the men's team. Um, but that game against UNLV, that's going to be a very good game. And then also um, a couple, about two and a half weeks from now, on December 18th, up at the Huntsman Center against Utah. Those are those are I mean, definitely big, the two the two big matchups remaining in non-conference for sure. And you can kind of write the ship with those. Even if you go one out of two with those, I think that either of those are quality wins. Yeah. Um, and obviously, you want to test yourself against against the best competition. And I think that it, this will be a test for this UBU team because while they're super potent offensively and they have great shooting and that good defense and they're sound in the paint getting rebounds. They normally out rebound their opponents. Uh, they just have to find a way to score during these scoring droughts and keep the ball under control. Moving on to men's basketball after a rough opening night loss to Boise state men's basketball has rattled off six straight wins, including a SoCal challenge championship wins over Antelope Valley, Pepperdine, Long Beach state, Idaho, Nichols state, and Denver. And mind you wins over Pepperdine, Long Beach state, and Denver all came in overtime with the wins in Pepperdine and Long Beach state, both coming off last second shots to go to overtime. Like, yeah. And those were both true road games too. Those games again. Pepperdine and Long Beach State. That's, I mean, as uh, as somebody who has followed BYU basketball basically since the Jimmer days, uh, Pepperdine has always been the Achilles heel of BYU men's basketball. That's always been one of the toughest places for them to play for whatever reason. Doesn't make any sense, but it's it's a, it's a tough place to play, and that's um, that's definitely a very high quality win. Even though Pepperdine, they're having a rough start to the season. I think they're two and six. But they're a that's a, a, a solid, solid West team. Coast Conference team, yeah. and I think that uh, winning over like a known program like that is big. Mm-hmm. Same with Long Beach State. Long Beach State is an ambiguous team that always goes out and has an aggressive schedule. Mm-hmm. They play teams like Duke and Kentucky, right? Mm-hmm. And while they may not come out, like they make a name for themselves. And so, beating a team like that who goes up against top competition, I think, is really good for their resume as well. Yeah, and uh, Farah's IMAC. I mean, he's been. Absolutely massive so far this season. I'm pretty sure there was a game where you had 34 and 14. Yeah, yeah. So that that was um, so that week against where they beat Pepperdine and Long Beach State. He was uh, named the Loot Olson National Player of the Week. Uh, that was the week of November 15th to the 21st. Uh, he had 34 points uh, against Pepperdine. He averaged 20, 29 and a half points per game and 15 rebounds. Uh, in those two wins. Um, and then this past week, he was named the WAC Player of the Week. Once again, I think he's, I think that was his second straight WAC Player of the Week. So I think he was the WAC Player of the Week the week before, also had uh, 14 and a half points per game and 15.3 rebounds per game. Um, and he's currently uh, second in the nation in rebounding. He's uh he's got some competition this year. I didn't check and see who's, who's I, number one. I don't know who <laughs> number one is, but I mean, Averaging 13 and a half rebounds a game. I mean, that's major for any team. And I think that heading into this matchup with number 12 BYU at home, that is an absolute opportunity for UVU to kind of make a statement to the rest of the country. And uh, I think that for them to win that game, AMAC and the rest of the team has to out-rebound BYU. Because they have the size... It's just a matter of them getting down and getting gritty and getting those boards. Because once you get out rebound them, you can get offensive rebounds, double chance points. I think that's the way that you beat BYU. Yeah, and I mean, I I'd look to guys like Blaze Neald and Connor Harding too. Those guys that are familiar with the BYU system, guys that uh, spent multiple years 
uh, down in Provo under and being coached by Mark Pope. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's, gosh, I am so mad at myself for, for getting to request that day off of work. I would have been, if I wasn't in the press row, I would have been in the den cheering on UVU. And I will 100% be in that press box. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, gosh, as much as I, I've, I've been to multiple BYU games this year, 364 days out of the year, I'll root for BYU, BYU men's basketball. This one day out of the year, though, I'm rooting for you, you oh, to yeah. beat them. And I was, I've been talking about it because it's really like a big game around town. You have a lot of UVU and BYU students talking about it, and UVU has upset potential. They have the shooting, they have the size, where they can just go out there and put on if they have play their best game. They can take down this BYU team. And it's all just a matter of defending the perimeter. I mean, BYU, they're not shooting particularly well from three, but the three-pointer is their bread and butter. I mean, they're shooting between the mid-range and the three-point shot and just getting on the fast break. I think what UVU needs to do is play their own game, play that inside-out game through AMAC, try to get their shots, but then try to slow down BYU's offense because the, the BYU scored over 75 times this season. So... I think what you have to do is kind of try to keep that down below 70, around the 60s range. And I think if you can do that, you can hang with BYU. Yeah, I, I would say make, I mean, that BYU team is just so deep. They have so many, so many just absolute ballers. But um, just make somebody other than Alex Barcelo beat you, is, I would say, is the, the key to the game. He's been lights out to start the season, uh, one of the most efficient scores in the country so far this season um always picks his spots always has takes good shots yeah i mean i gosh that's gonna be such a good game i i'm gonna be following it from work i'll probably have it on my phone watching it <laughs> i would so much rather be at the ucc center than it and I, i'm sure the den is gonna be all out rocking yeah it is i mean it's gonna be from both sides too. I mean, there's going to be tons of BYU. I'm sure there's going to be BYU fans filling their arena too. I'm sure it's going to be a sellout for sure. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure tickets are already sold out at this point. Yeah, I I would not be surprised. Well, moving on to some news and notes. Uh, The Jazz play Friday versus Boston, who's struggling this season, and then Sunday at Cleveland, who has one of the brightest rookies in the league in Mobley. I love his game. Yeah, I mean, we were, we were talking about this before the recording. I, I've seen on social media lots of Jazz fans just kind of freaking out about the season. I, I hadn't been paying attention to, like, the standings, really. Because, I, I mean, I knew they had lost to, um, I believe it was uh, New Orleans and then Memphis. Indiana. And Indiana, too. Those those three games, were those are winnable. Those are te- teams you should be beating. Yeah. And so, like, just from the people that I've seen on social media freaking out about the Jazz, I was like, man, they must be just totally down. They must have lost, like, one off five-game skid or something. Yeah. Which is the opposite. Yeah, they're third in the West right now, 14-7 and or 15-7, and I think, now after last night being Portland. So, I mean, they're – I don't understand. I mean, you can't – I don't know how you can complain about being third in the West behind the Suns, who are on a 17-game win streak, and the Warriors, who are on a seven-game win streak. It's like both teams – are incredibly hot. They came right out the gate. The Suns started one and three, but they went ballistic after that. And I think that both teams are centered around three point shooting. So that's going to be streaky where those teams are going to go cold some nights. Well, and you're, if you look at the Jazz, I mean, they haven't been 
up to full health yet. I mean, obviously the Warriors aren't either. They don't have Wiseman and Thompson. Thompson. I think when Thompson comes back, that's going to be terrifying. Yeah. Maybe, uh, I believe Rudy Gay's only played a couple of games. But he, his, when he played, he had 20 points in his, yeah. when he first, uh, his return, he had a big game. And, and of course, Mike Conley is, he's been banged up to start the season too. So, I mean, it's just, it's too early to, to say, I mean, I, Bridger always jokes about me giving him crap on the podcast about his <laughs> his pessimism about the Jazz last year. <laughs> He'll always well. I come, mean, they came out with the, the newsroom. <laughs> they they came out with the first seed, right? But yeah, I felt like they underperformed in the playoffs. I think that oh, yeah. they were the team to beat, but they didn't look like it in the playoffs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, all all last season, Bridger was like asking me it. to give my opinion, like just as like an impartial person. Like, are the Jazz for real, or are they? I mean, I would say, I mean, they're, I think they're slightly worse than last season, but I mean, I wouldn't I say think they'll get there. Yeah, I, I mean, think they'll get there. They're not going to be the number one seed in the West. No. I think that this, the way that the Warriors and the Suns are playing, I mean, they're, they're obviously going to be seated higher than the Lakers. I think they'll be higher than Memphis. They'll be higher than uh, Dallas. I think that they are definitively better than those teams mm-hmm. and they have a better roster. They're deeper. They have a good offensive formation, right? And, I mean, they're anchored behind Rudy on defense. I think it just comes down to winning those, uh, like, 50-50 games, those road games. Yeah, I mean, I would say that there's, I mean, we were looking at the standings earlier uh, in the Western Conference. I mean, obviously, there's, like, literally a physical gap in terms of games between the top three teams. I mean, the Jazz, they're four and a half back of the Warriors. But um, the rest of the league. They're three up on... Uh, the four seed in, in Dallas. And I, I would say that there's a pretty big gap between, between that three top. and four seed. Yeah. Yeah. Where like, I feel like that four to seven, four to eight, or yeah, four to eight spot is going to be hotly contested all season. But that yeah. one to three, I feel like it's going to stay relatively the same. Like, I think that Phoenix might lose some games and mm-hmm. kind of drop lower. Same thing with Golden State. I think that they'll probably like cool off here in a bit, but they, they will still be towards the top. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, you look at like the Lakers. I mean, they're going to be a tough team in the playoffs specifically, but they got to make it. They got to make the playoffs, and I yeah. think the way they've been playing without when LeBron isn't on the floor, AD fades and Westbrook yeah. turns the ball over. He had a triple double. on Russell. triple double with ten turnovers. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> and no. it was actually multiple games that he did that. I mean, if you look at the, I'm looking at the standings right now. I mean, you've got the Nuggets and the Trailblazers who are currently nine and ten. I mean, those those teams. I don't think they're going to be there for long. I mean, um, never count out Damian Lillard for sure. Um, and the Nuggets. When the Blazers are always a second half of the season team, where mm-hmm. after the All Star break they always go ballistic and they always make the playoffs. Yeah, they just they're just. Uh, I mean, wow. I'm, I'm like, I just noticed on their. Uh, their home and away splits. Trailblazers, they're nine and one. I mean, second best record in the in the league at home. And then they're they one can't win road games on the road. I mean, that's that's amazing. Like I that's, is it I wonder if it's like the shooters just struggle with the noise from the other teams, or yeah. is it like I don't know. I mean the I know the Blazers, they're just one of the worst defending teams yeah. in the league for sure. I'm, I'm probably that's, right there behind the Lakers. Yeah, I mean that's that's always been their uh, their problem. I mean, obviously, when you have CJ McCollum and uh, and uh, Damian Lillard, I mean, you're going to score plenty, but you just 
but you have to outscore your opponents yeah. because everybody else is getting blown by on the drive. And I think for the Jazz, the teams that if in the playoff picture, I would want to avoid, like you can handle Dallas, you can handle Phil, uh, you can, sorry, not Philly. I don't know why I said that. You can handle like uh, Memphis, right? But you want to avoid Golden State for as long as you can. I don't think that yeah. the Jazz match up particularly well with Golden State in terms of offensive schemes. I think Golden State, when they go small, they traditionally have always gotten the better of the Jazz. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think I don't want to play Portland either because Portland is kind of like a light version of that Golden State team where yeah. it's not all shooting. They run the floor. Um, they have big guys in the paint, but they don't play like a traditional style ball. They play like that run and gun, shoot all, shoot the three on the fast break type of game. Yeah, I mean, if I'm, if I'm the Jazz, I would want to stay off of that four or five seed line. Yeah. As you want to avoid the possible. Clippers too. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, just you don't want to face the Warriors in the conference semis. You want to face them in the conference finals. You want to wait as long as possible for that to happen. Yeah. And the crazy thing is, is that we might be getting, the, at the rate this is going, like I'm sure the Lakers will pick it up a bit, but you could end up seeing a Warriors-Lakers first-round matchup. <laughs> so that would, I that, mean, that would be... Because that uh, play-in last year was actually really fun oh to watch. Gosh, yeah, I mean, I was so... Conf- I was, it was such a dumb situation. I was conflicted because I wanted, I wanted the Warriors to lose that first game so that they would beat Memphis and play the Jazz. Yeah, I wanted I wanted the Warriors to come to Utah so I could yeah, go see Steph yeah, Curry in the playoffs. Sure, yeah, <laughs> yeah not gonna lie. they ended up losing both games. <laughs> Gosh, that was, that was rough. Yeah. But I think for the Jazz, they're doing fine. I don't think that they're underperforming at all. I think that other teams are just performing better than expected. I mean, mm-hmm. teams are going to go on runs during the season. Obviously, Phoenix is kind of an abnormal or abnormality where they're on a 17-game win streak where most teams don't do that during a season. Mm-hmm. Um, but Golden State has also started out nearly identical to their record when they went 73-9. Yeah, they started yeah. twenty zero during that season. They're eighteen and two right now. That would be absolutely ridiculous if they were. To, to, I, I don't think they'll repeat that this year. That would just be. If they did, uh, there's no doubt in my mind that Steph Curry is the MVP. Oh yeah, easily. Yeah, and I think that Donovan Mitchell, uh, if the Jazz want to win a Finals, I think Donovan Mitchell has to make that leap where he's in the MVP conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean he's got to be a. Um, more willing to pass the ball. I mean, I mean, he's always been kind of a volume shooter, mm-hmm. just taking like 25 shots per game. But I think if he can cut that down to like 18 to 20. You don't want to turn so. into a James Harden where you're putting up 32 shots a game, a Russell yeah. Westbrook, because while those guys score and they put numbers up, you don't, it doesn't help your team win. Yeah, yeah, for sure. More ball movement and stuff like that. I mean, that's that's what I've, I've always. I just don't understand like the the appeal of like just going full on isolation. Like the only players that have been able to successfully do that and like carry their teams is Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant. Mm-hmm. Outside of that, everybody else had like a number two that was ne- almost as good as them that would help uh, carry them. So like Steph had Clay, LeBron had D Wade, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's very difficult for to be a team a top team and try to rely on a singular player to carry you in every single closing moment 
I'm so glad that the NBA has cracked down on the uh, those like abnormal. I don't remember what the wording is, like the like the abnormal shooting motion. Oh, it's honestly been fun to watch. Like yeah. it's been a whole lot funner to watch because there's way less free throws. The refs are not taking BS from the players, mm-hmm. and the players are trying to complain. Because Harden always does that little rip through where he'll grab the arm of the defender, but the refs haven't been calling that this year. They've been calling yeah. it offensive foul, mm-hmm. and it's it's honestly refreshing to see, especially after last season, like players like Trey Young shooting eighteen free throws in a game. Yeah. Uh, where now this season, free throws are like an all time low, yeah, and I, it lets the game flow better. I feel like games have been going quicker too. I mean, I haven't been able to watch as many games as I wanted to. But I just feel like there's a better flow to it. I mean, that's like I've I went to the BYU Cleveland State game earlier this year, and um, I mean it was just like there was just no flow to the game because there were just so many fouls, fouls on every single possession. I mean, I, I was getting so frustrated because I mean it's like this isn't basketball. They weren't even like uh, they weren't even like hard fouls. They were just like reaching fouls on the perimeter and stuff like that. It's just like come. And I feel like the refs have talked with the NBA Players Association and they've like heard the frustrations of players. But at the same time, I feel like the refs are in the right here where I like this refocus of just calling fouls when it's the defensive player invading the space of the offensive player. Because the offensive player, like making it look like it shouldn't be rewarded. And I don't think that any player should be centering their game around shooting 20 free throws a night. Like James Harden in 20... Uh, 19 and 2020, he was averaging like 22 free throw attempts a game. Absurd. I mean, like the point of the game is to get the ball in the hoop, but not from the free throw line. Like you, the point of the game, like you, you want to score, not just try to draw the foul and then maybe score. Yeah, that's. Yeah. So I think that this new rule change has made it like oh, it's it's helped the Warriors flow a lot better too. Because instead of players trying to pump fake and get that four point play, like they're not going, they're just trying to get open shots now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, versus the Lakers, <laughs> I mean, they can't shoot free throws to begin with, but when they're at, like, they're not getting to the line as often either. I, I'm excited for this NBA, like, the way this NBA season's gone with how balanced the landscape is. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's insane to me. Both conferences, I mean, it's, it looks a little different on each side. Of the, of the of the league, but I mean, there's just so much parity. Uh, like looking at the Eastern Conference, there's uh, less than four games separate Brooklyn in the one seed and the Celtics in eleventh. And I don't even think Brooklyn's played that well to start yeah. the season. I mean, nope. I mean, I mean, we've heard a ton about like the Bulls and the Heat. I feel like I do like that Bulls team. Yeah, but I mean. Um, aside from them, nobody's really played that well. I mean, even the Bulls, I mean, they're 14 and 8. I mean, that's not – that's a good start, but that's usually a middle-of-the-pack mm-hmm. win percentage. Well, for the East, that's normally games. top three seed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there's there's always a big difference between the top record in the East and the top record in the West. Yeah, for and sure. Like, speaking of the East, I mean, the Bucks are 13 and 8. I don't think that they've performed to expectations. I mean – being the defending champion, uh, I just think that they, I don't know, they look worse than they did last year. But I also feel like last year they kind of got lucky where a lot of teams had injured stars where they weren't factors. Like Kyrie Irving did not play. James Harden did not play. 
Yeah, and it wouldn't surprise me if the Bucks are facing some sort of fatigue. I mean, just with like, I was, uh, they're guys that went straight from playing in the finals to playing in the Olympics, and then they get about a month or two off before the preseason started. I mean, that's, yeah. They, trying to go back to back in general was hard to begin with. Yeah. I mean, the teams that have done it, like, they, it has always been a constant struggle and they've always gone through a slump during the season. Yeah. Or faced injuries of some sorts. I mean, like the um, Warriors in uh, 2017 and 2018. I mean, that was, it was kind of rough. I think it was in the, the uh, 2018, Kevin Durant was out for a while. Mm-hmm. And then Clay Thompson. Yeah. It was just, Draymond Green, and then after that season, Steph Curry and Draymond Green basically sat the entire season. Mm, yeah, I mean, it's anytime you do a deep playoff run in any sport, I mean, it's just so hard to go back to back. Especially, I mean, you, if you look at like NFL, they haven't had a back to back champion. Yeah, I don't think they've had a back to back champion in like twenty years or something like that, if I'm remembering right. Mm-hmm. That sounds pretty accurate. It's so difficult to go. To win championships in the NFL, kind of recentering back to the Jazz. Uh, so, what is your prediction for this week uh, with the game versus Boston and the game versus Cleveland? I say they go two and zero. Oh yeah, I think that Boston slumped, and I think that Cleveland doesn't have. They have promising young talent, but they don't have the ability to beat the Jazz. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's the most confident I've felt all season about saying they'll go two and zero. I mean, the Cleveland they've they've had their moments. Mm-hmm. They've uh, they gave the Warriors all they could handle. Um, a couple weeks ago, um, but aside from that, I mean, they haven't really been that. Uh, Knowing our luck, we're probably gonna go zero and two. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, I was, I was always like last, like I was saying earlier, Bridger would always say, "Oh, the Jazz are gonna go two and two or three and one." And I was like, "I think they'll go four and zero," and then they would go four and zero, and Bridger would be like, yeah. "Well, I think yeah. this, I think this is the first time we've agreed." Probably, because I, mean, I feel I think, like we always like go in different directions. We're like, yeah, you're like, they'll, they'll I mean, probably go like one in three. I'm like, that's oh, probably three and one. Well, I mean, I think we've said um, we might have had like the same like, like record, the same record, but, but we just, like different, different games. Yeah, that wouldn't yeah. surprise me. Well, that's all we got for you this week on the Quick Fire Podcast. Be sure to tune in next week. We'll be have some uh, results from the NCAA tournament, hopefully, as well as men's basketball game versus BYU. Love to break that down for you, and uh, we're excited to be back. Thank you.